0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church, Tucson. It's just—it's so good to have you all here this morning. Um, man, I'm, I'm in a place, even just coming into this, really excited and um, definitely moved emotionally. And uh, so I'm just excited to see what the Lord has in store for us as we kick off this new sermon together. But um, actually, by way of introduction, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I just want to let you know that I have a special a speech impediment. Um, there it's on display, an example for you. But uh, so I'll kind of, so as we go, as I, as I preach through, um, it'll kind of come in and out. So just want to make sure that you all know um, what that is. You're not trying to f- figure it out along the way. Um, a couple things before we, we get into it is... Um, is this is um, a little notebook that um, is a really helpful tool throughout this next like three or so months as we walk through this sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's got all kinds of good stuff in it. It's, um, it's got little um, like application points and discussion questions. For those of you who have kids who are here, um, they'll be walking through a similar place every week. That's always the case. They go through something similar to us in here. They're in the same scripture. They're not necessarily hearing it exactly the same way. Um, they would all be tuned out and bouncing off walls if they had to listen to me um, preaching the whole time. Um, my own little four-year-old wouldn't stand for that herself. But, um, but they hear something similar and they learn lessons. And then this is a great way for you to, to learn how to have conversation within your home. Um, so I, it's, it's only three bucks. Okay, it's $3, and we have um, some available at the Connect desk, so I want to strongly encourage you to get one. Not right now. Don't hustle out there. Um, they'll probably be gone after today, so we are going to order more, okay? So don't, like, fight. Okay, love your neighbor. We're going to be talking about that. Don't fight over these, but I do encourage you to get one. It'll be really helpful um, and, and I've all already been blessed and encouraged by that. So, um, as we get into it, let me just say, go ahead and turn with your Bible, um, in your Bible, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be here for the next... Uh, a few months, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible or an app, um, go ahead and turn there with me. And even though we have it up here on the screen, it's important that you read along. Okay, So if you plan on coming back, or even if not, um, have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we're not going to shame you right now, um, this time, but, but uh, hold your hand up high. Okay, Honestly, hold your hand up high and keep it up, um, and somebody will get you a Bible. Again, I want to make sure everyone has a Bible to read along and see this. This is Jesus talking here, not me, okay, and so, también um, si quieres la Biblia en español, levanta su mano y diga, Espanol, y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un a usted. This is a gift to you. So, what I said there for you in English as well is uh, if you don't have a Bible, you do now. Okay, this is our gift to you. Keep it, put your name in it, underline stuff. Um, we want to make sure everyone has a Bible in their own language they can read and understand and follow along with. Um, as we're getting there, as we're getting oriented, um, this sermon series, let me just kind of set it up a little bit, is we're going to cover, uh, we're going to walk through it, all right? We, we're a church. We believe in the Bible. We stand when we read the Bible. We, we, we believe it um, whole, wholeheartedly. What's going to be uniquely important for us as we walk through this sermon, specifically you'll see today, we're capturing 12 verses that we could spend like a week on each verse. And what's really important, a number of commentaries I've read Um, if you're interested, if you're that kind of guy, that kind of person, you could go read um, uh, the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount commentary. It's a book. It's a collection of sermons by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's one that I'm heavily looking into. Also one by D.A. Carson. For those of you that are like, I want to be following along. I want to know where all this stuff. um, As well as diving in myself and really picking out. But those are uh, two really smart guys that I've been learning from in preparation. So uh, they've really recommended, and a lot of people agreed, there's a main theme, okay? Jesus is preaching a sermon. There's a main point. And so um, a tendency could be to get lost, um, to kind of miss the forest for the trees, all right? To, to read and just dive in and be, be, you know, breaking apart every little verb, and what does meek mean, and, where does, and we're, we are going to get into that word. If some of you are like, I don't get that, we are going to talk about that today. But we're not going to hit on necessarily like every little detail as we go, because in so doing, we could miss the big idea, all right? The big idea is this. This is the big idea. Today, the whole Sermon on the Mount, in fact, in all of Scripture, it's it's that Jesus brings real transformation that shows up in real everyday life. That's the message of the whole Bible, but every week, I mean, that's in there, and, and that's specifically, explicitly the point today, and that's going to be throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. In fact, this first part, these first 12 verses kind of set the tone for the whole Sermon on the Mount. It comes back to that truth of Jesus bringing real-life transformation that shows up in our everyday lives. And, and so... Um, um, Another thing that this has been used historically over the last number of thousands of years is that the Sermon on the Mount can be used as a litmus test for our faith. And, there, and this is going to feel a bit weighty, and that's okay, right? We'll come around at, at the end here, but it's this. If your eyes kind of gloss over when you hear this, or you just chalk it up and say... That's impossible clear or you try to overanalyze and use all these metaphors and say yeah jesus isn't really saying that and you so all this if you easily dismiss this stuff question whether or not you're genuinely a follower of jesus okay that's how this has been used and even as jesus begins to utter these words and preach the sermon that's his point is he's calling out are you truly a follower of christ because he brings real transformation that shows up in everyday life. And this isn't just meant to be kind of like dismissed. And yet, if you hear these things, and I guarantee you this is going to be true for all of us, and you say, that sounds really hard, or that sounds really weird, I don't get it. And that, that should lead you to press in even further to Jesus. And say, let me get a little more of Jesus. Let me understand a little more of this Jesus. I don't understand, or that sounds really hard, or that sounds impossible. Lord, Lord, Lord tell me more. All right, that, that's, that's where this leads, leads us as we preach through it for the next few months. That's the work that, that God will be bringing about in all of us and, and, and calling every single one of us in here to, to question, how do I respond to this Jesus? Has he transformed me? Is he transforming me? Will he transform me in such a way that results in real life change? Amen? Okay, so that's a big, that's a big task. It's a big sermon, all right? As you can see, it's important for us to, to be in a good place as we walk through it. So let me pray right now and ask Jesus, the one who actually preached this sermon, to now lead us and to send the Holy Spirit to enable us to hear his words and to be changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time and for um, your word. Thank you already for um, what you're doing in here, for the, even the way that, that uh, the songs have even kind of set the, set the tone. As we climb this mountain with our hands wide open expectantly, Lord, we come before you. I don't know where everyone is this morning, but you do. Lord, even as we looked at last week, you're all-knowing. Or you're omniscient and you know the number of hairs on our heads and you know what's going on this morning, what's been going on this last week, Lord. You know for those in this room who have doubts and questions and who are even wondering, who is this Jesus? And does he really bring about change? Is he real? Um, I pray and I trust that you will not let your word return void. Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And so we uh, are expectant and hopeful as we come before you. Together In Jesus' name, amen. So imagine with me, like, where we're at as we start this, okay, climbing this mountain, right? It's Jesus is on a mountain, and he sees the multitudes. That's really important. He sees the crowds. He sees the people. He's not on his own agenda. He does have an agenda. He has a purpose and a plan, but he's not just like, all right, I don't really care. But he sees the people. He sees what's going on, and he, and he, and, and he, and he calls them to himself, and he sits down. And, and everyone who's with him, it's not just his friends. There are a lot of people. That word disciples, it's used here, is the, his, his followers, all right? It says, and Jesus, seeing the crowds, When he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, so his disciples are those who are following him. It's not only like his 12 disciples, um, it's not only all of his closest friends and stuff, but there's all kinds of different people here. Some who are intrigued, some who are following him, some who love him, some who have entrusted their life to him and said, we're with you. Um, Some are religious authorities who don't like him at all. They respect him and they fear him. As we'll even see in the very end in chapter 7, it says he taught them not as one of their prophets or as one of their scribes, but he taught them as one with authority. And that word authority means like the original stuff. Like he taught them and he, 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 he talks about the law and the word of God as if he's the one who wrote it because he is. And yet yet these people fear him because he's kind of pressing in on their way of life. They're like, no, we have this whole religious thing figured out. We know what to do. We know how to make ourselves feel better. We know how to keep other people down by what we do. So, Jesus, you're kind of cramping our style. And then, on the other hand, you had everyday folk, everyday people that, that, that were intrigued by Jesus as well, but start to get offended, as he preaches through this sermon and he starts to say some things, they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought like Jesus is, I thought it's okay to just have this idea of Jesus, a kind of like willy nilly perspective of, you know, Jesus is my homeboy or Jesus is whatever you want him to be. I don't know how you make another person whatever you want him to be but that kind of idea right of like Jesus is whatever comes to mind when you're happy or when you're whatever that might be and those people too are kind of like whoa 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 that's you're kind of challenging me Jesus and everyone is right on every extreme the ultra religious and the ultra non-religious are 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 are, are confronted because Jesus is preaching kind of a weird sermon (laughs) and and you and I are in that place too that as he preaches and he says things like repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what he's saying, that's what he said earlier in chapter 4, verse 17. He said, repent and believe. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news of God, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That people's, like, ears and eyes would have been perked up and said, well, this is a different kind of kingdom. But what we would hear, right, if, if the big idea is, is, is God comes here and makes your life better, or God further affirms your and my perspective of the good life, we would expect a sermon something like this. And I, I don't have it up here on the screen. All the more reason, I meant what I said earlier, okay? Have your Bible, read through it. Um, even read through this as I, as I go through these, the kind of a different take on these 12 verses. Look through what Jesus actually said, and then consider with me, kind of according to the world, according to our nature, what we would expect the good life, to be talked about as. It sounds something like this. If Jesus said this, Jesus opened his mouth to affirm them and to tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. And he said this, blessed are those who are arrogant and do whatever it takes to get what they want. Blessed are those who are always happy and comfortable, free from worry or difficulty. And blessed are those who have power And who use it to get what they want to accomplish their own goals. And blessed are those who cut corners and have flexible morals, for they will always be satisfied and get what they desire. Blessed are those who never are made to look foolish, who always get the last word, and who will always get the respect and the justice that they deserve. Blessed are those who do what they want and pursue whatever their hearts desire for they will get what they want, and they will be applauded for their self-expression and determination. Blessed are those who gossip, for they will always have friends. Uh Uh-oh. All right, we'll get into this. Blessed are those who sync up with the culture and sprinkle some of Jesus on top, for it helps them to live the good life. And lastly, blessed are those who are liked by everybody, for they will get all the adoration and respect that they deserve. Right, that's that sounds a little more natural. Now, if you've been around church for a while, if you even as we read, if you walked along, you're like, "That's not what Jesus said." That's not. But but that's our practical, that's our functional understanding of the good life, right? If you were learning like how to how to uh, what is it? I, I always forget titles and word words and songs. You guys, it's amazing that I can remember the sermon every week. It's a, a picture of the Holy Spirit. There's some work about, uh, some book about how to make more friends and get more done and all this stuff. And anything like that that you read, or if you went to Eller, you went to a business school and you heard about how to be self-made or how to get the best life, you know, how to get your best life now. Uh-oh, that's not what this is, is talking about here. And we'll see. If you talk about that kind of idea, then, then you think um, that something like I just read. Like, yeah, that's the good life. But that's different. Jesus says... No, no, I'm calling you to the blessed life. Well, that word blessed is very important. And in this next part, in some of your Bibles, it might say this is called, right, verses 2 through 12 are called what? What is it? What do you see? Beatitudes. Beatitudes. And maybe like me, most of us are like, what does that even mean? What is that title? You've been around here. Well, it's simply the Latin word, beatis, um, for Blessed. Okay, so like the, 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 the many blessings or the, the blessedness or the things that result in a blessed life. And so we um, come before this because that word blessed means, means favor with God. Okay, favor with God, God's favor. And a lot of us hear that. We hear, okay, what it means to have God's favor. Even some denominations will use a phrase a lot of times like, I'm blessed and highly favored. And in and a denomination I grew up in actually for a lot of time, it's, it's, it's something that rolls off people's tongues when everything's going really well, when it's all easy, when everything's going, when the good life and the blessed life are kind of overlapping and you're like, yeah, I'm blessed and highly favored. And we hear that and we think one of two things, most of us, either we think the prosperity gospel Right, like everything's going well. If I put my faith in in Jesus, if God's number one on the on the on the priorities in my life, then everything's going to be easy. I'm going to be set up for the good life, you know, na 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 na, like the good life. Gonna... <laughs> and then and then others though we hear um we hear that and we just don't take Jesus very seriously. We hear that Jesus says, "I came to give you life and give it abundantly," and we think. Shh. He's probably not being serious. He doesn't really want to give me an abundant life. My life right now doesn't feel abundant. I've been following him. I've been walking with him. And either we, we, we say this prosperity gospel or we just don't take him at his word. But here's the deal. If you put your faith in Jesus, your life, the, the actual realities of your life day in and day out may not change, but you will He promises that you will be changed, that as you put your trust in Jesus, as you give your life to him, as he begins this sermon and says, this is what it means to be blessed, he's saying, I bring a transformation that results in a change of priorities, in a reorientation so that though the circumstances of your life may not change, as you go at those circumstances, you're different. And you're coming from a different place. And you face these things. And as, as, you, as you consider persecution, we'll get to, right, verses 10 through 12, you, you come to these things, meekness and all this stuff, you're changed. You're changed. And yet, that's hard for us to hear. That's hard for us to embrace. That's hard for us to live in light of. That's hard for us to say, I am blessed. In moments when that's challenged. Because of our distorted view. Because we have a distorted view of what life is supposed to be lived. Because God created us so that our identity and our purpose would be shaped by Him. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. So that we would come to Him, so that we would relate with Him, so that you would depend on Him. Everyone in here, if this is your first time in church or you've been coming for a long time, this is God's message to you is you were designed... To be dependent on him in such a way that that shows up in how you live your life. That everything about your perspective, your relationships, what you say, what you do, how you react, how you respond. Everything about you would come from your identity in him. But, but, but we relate more with that first list that I read, right? That, because we look through a distorted lens. Because of what the Bible calls the fall or the rebellion. And it's when all of us, individually and corporately, as mankind said, no thanks, God. I want to do it on my own. I want to figure out my own identity. I want to figure out my own purpose apart from you. That's, that's where we became broken. That's where our, dist- our distorted lenses entered into the picture. And so now we hear these things, the, the Beatitudes. We hear blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and that sounds upside down to us. All right, because we're looking through distorted lenses. Like we're walking around on our heads and seeing everything upside down. And what, what Jesus comes to do is say, no, I'm going to put you right side up. I'm going to bring a transformation so that now you will see rightly and correctly. Because though we see through distorted lenses, Jesus entered into our brokenness to bring his kingdom. To set right what has been set wrong. So that on an individual and a communal level, we can be his people walking with him. And so that he will bring a transformation, that he lived a life and he spoke sermons like this and, and, and displayed and, and taught on what life is supposed to be like. The kingdom life, the, the truly good life, the blessed life. But we still didn't get it because there's still a brokenness and a distortion from sin. So when he went to the cross, he died on the cross. And he said, it is finished so that that sin would be put in its right place. And then he rose victoriously from the dead so that all of those who put their faith in him can now live life as we were designed for it to be lived. So we can now be restored to God relationally and be restored to one another and be restored to everyday life as he designed it to be lived. Jesus brings real life transformation that shows up in our everyday lives. And so that's why he says things like this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, if you're around this stuff or you're in church, you're like, I'm not going to ask any questions. We just skirt right along and we read through this stuff and we sing this and we hear it and we're like, yeah, sounds right. Sounds good. But um, how many of you who are in college signed up or are going through college right now to be poor? Is that your goal? Okay, you did. See? Okay, great. So um, then maybe you, you're on to something. All right. But, um, or wherever you're at, or maybe you're, how many of you took a new job so that you could be poor? So that you said, this new job, I'm going to be poor. And, and the actual word here is not just poor, it's in poverty, impoverished, right? That, that's not usually, when we hear good life, right? If you said, tell me about the good life, and you had to, had to list off nine, nine blessings, you wouldn't start out with poor or poverty, But God calls us to a place of poverty in our relationship with him, to where we are are desperate for him. And and I was was thinking about this. Um, The longer you're in church, let me just say this for you on the front end, the longer you're around here, the longer you're doing this thing, for those of you who grew up in church, who grew up in in a Christian home, it's really easy to take for granted your relationship with God and to not live poor in spirit. Alright, I grew up in a home that for the most part was paycheck to paycheck. It was kind of feast or famine. We were pretty poor, we were always on free lunch. Nowadays you everybody gets a lunch and Number, right? I think that's the way it is. Now everyone gets a lunch number. You go and you give your number. When I was a kid, some of you guys can relate with this. It was like, man, oh no, you go next, you go next, because you're gonna pay your money, and I'm gonna utter a number and I'm gonna stand out. Everyone's gonna know that I'm on free lunch here. And 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 so when you grow up in such a way like that, your goal as a parent is to not have your kids living that same way. Like that's your hope, that's your desire. And yet. And I'm experiencing this as a as a as a as a parent of four young kids. Um, though I don't want them to experience that kind of hand to mouth, that kind of paycheck to paycheck. There's a lot that I learned and grew in that. That, that there's no way they're going to learn that. Like they're not gonna they're going to grow up not understanding like like here's this kind of r- 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 hail talk. Uh, like ninety percent of the kids who go to the school that we are in right now. They don't know if what kind of meal they're going to get over the weekend. They're on free or reduced lunch. They they come and we've gotten to partake in this. We get to and kids at my at my kids' school as well get get little bags of, full of food with like peanut butter and tuna fish and milk in a box. Didn't even know about that milk in a box, so it won't go bad and all stuff, so they can get nutrients throughout the weekend or throughout the the holidays. We did that last year. We brought food so that families could go and their kids could eat throughout the holidays. And 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 so when you when you're in that. That kind of place, right when you have food you you hold on to it, and you know like I need this right now i 'm not going to take it for granted i don't have, i don 't have pantries full i don 't have a stockpile full, or when you 're paycheck to paycheck you it 's a little harder in that case to rely on your bank account and your portfolio and your and your five hundred one uh, is that what it's called? I don't know if you can tell where I'm at. Your you're 401k, thank you. And your and and IRA and all these things, right? It's a little harder. See, again, you know where I'm at. It's a little harder to rely on those things and you take it for granted. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, Though God lavishes his His grace and his favor on you abundantly, though God gives you himself so much, don't take it for granted. Be in such a way that you don't have a stockpile, that you don't wake up and say, ah, I probably don't need to spend time in the word, probably don't need to pray today, I'm going into an interview, I'm going into my relationship, I'm in a bad place, I'm on my way home, probably don't need to pray and ask for God to help me in how I relate with my spouse and with my kids, because, you know, I'm good, I'm good, and then you go in and you are stumbling through he says no 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 never forget your desperate state that apart from god's intervention apart from the filling of the holy spirit apart from the good news of jesus transforming and informing your life and your heart you're 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 desperate so cling to him need him live paycheck to paycheck every morning never never expect i've got it made i've got it i've got it No, cling to him. And again, for the ultra-religious, this would be offensive and shocking. Okay, but for you and me, it needs to be the good news that Jesus says, that's the good life, that's the blessed life. Be poor, be, 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 be in such a desperate, impoverished state that you cling to all the nourishment that God gives you through time with him, through his word, through the community that he's provided. And then he goes on, blessed are those who mourn. again, that's counterintuitive, weird stuff. It's, no, mourning is difficult. We've had a lot of mourning within our young church. But he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The, in that place, and this is a mystery, in that place, somehow, God reveals himself to you. God, God provides community for you. God brings others around you in such a way that otherwise you would not experience. Now, does God, you know, like a puppet master, lead us into dark places? No. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me. You comfort me. Jesus says you're blessed in that place. And then in verse 3, perhaps one of the most confusing. <laughs> blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What, what comes to mind when you hear the word meek? Just like be honest <coughs> with this minute. What comes to mind? Meek. How many of you... Okay, men here, how many of you, if, um, you know, you're in that line, right, that some of us feared growing up as kids, and they're, like, picking for the dodgeball team, and you get picked last, and someone says, oh, it's okay, you know, you're meek, right? Now, or you show up to, like, football practice with your kid, and you're like, this is my kid, he's only five, but got high hopes for him, he's gonna, gonna go places, and you show up, and the coach says, oh, this little guy looks meek. You'd be like, yeah, thank you, coach. You'd be like, what, meek? No, no, this is a warrior. This kid's, this kid's tough. Well, it's because we hear, we, we hear meek and we think weak, right? I don't know if it's just God's sense of humor that it rhymes, but we think, we think, yeah. So we hear that, and there's a perception, even in Christianity, like a lot of times that people say, oh, you should be meek. You should be Ned Flanders, all right? Okay, confession, I grew up on The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, um, I had to hide it from my s- s- stepdad, but not for the reasons that you guys think, not because um, it was, you know, profane and inappropriate and all the things probably that my wife wasn't allowed to watch it for, but because it was a cartoon and that's childish, and a fifth grader should be more mature than to watch a cartoon, so I had to hide it, he didn't care about the inappropriate profanity and stuff, but that it's, it's childish. But all that to say, if you've ever... Okay, true confession time. How many of you have seen The Simpsons here? Okay, all right. The rest of you, don't be ashamed. It's okay. Those of you who raise your hand, don't be ashamed. It's okay, all right. Come as we are. But there's this character, Ned Flanders, and that show's still going, all right? I don't know when it's going to be irrelevant to keep talk about it, but it's almost that time. But it's still going, right? They're they're still making shows. But... um. Ned Flanders, right? Heidi ho neighbor. And he's this like nerdy dude with a mustache. I know mustaches are coming back in, but this wasn't a hipster mustache, right? This wasn't the kind you have like tattooed on your arm or on your cup or on your car, wherever the infatuation with m- mustaches are these days. Um, but he was nerdy, and he was weak. He was, a, he was a doormat. Homer Simpson was mean to him. Bart, you know, gave his kids wedgies, all this stuff. And so you think meek, you think... Ned Flanders, but meek is controlled power. Meek is I could wreck you right now, but I'm withholding that. Meek is listen. You're in my face, and you wanna you wanna go toe to toe right now, and I could I could take you easily, but I'm not gonna. And so a lot of people, when we come at the Sermon on the Mount, and we just want to jump right to turn the other cheek. You know, you know, and if, if someone hits you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek. If someone makes you go one mile, go with him two. And and then, you know, even non Christians, not people who aren't church. Some of you maybe even here who are hearing these things are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are all Christian things. And and but that stuff doesn't just exist in a vacuum. That comes back to this transformation that only comes through Jesus, where where you hear meekness and you understand it, and then as Jesus displayed meekness most clearly. On the cross, as he hung on the cross, on a tree that he created with the very words of his mouth. And then he hung there, ham- nails hammered into his hands and feet by people that he made, that he formed with, like with clay and breathed life into them. And then now those voices came back at him in mockery. And Jesus, even as he, as he faced Pontius Pilate, he said, Silly pilot, I could bring legions of angels right now, scary, sword-wielding, angelic beings that you would all be terrified, that you would be messing your pants right now if you saw and you're sitting here mocking me as I hang on the cross because though I have the power Jesus displays to put an end to this with a snap of my fingers, I'm going to withhold that power for God's glory and your good and the good of the world. So that the entire world would be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, that same thing there. Blessed, transformed, made right with God and with one another. That's meekness. And Jesus displays it on the, clo- on, on the cross. And he calls you and me to see it so clearly. And then to be so transformed that our lives now look that way. Meek, transformed, changed. And then he goes on and he continues. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Okay, that's just counterintuitive. Again, you hear that, but in our day, all right, in our day, what rules you and me right now is instant gratification. Right we don't hunger and thirst for 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 righteousness no we 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 hunger and thirst for for I want to have my needs met right now the way I want to have them met and i want I want to go about um life I want to get everything um when I want it, how I want it right now I got a little crack on my iPhone and I just bought it last week but um and i've, I've of course I didn't buy the, you know, the, 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 like, the insurance plan because I need to use that money for something else. But man, I broke it. And even though my contract doesn't come up in two more months, I need it now. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to get rid of that one, just buy a new one. I need it now, now, now. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. But no, he says, let your appetite, what you long for, what you thirst for, what you hunger for, be God's righteousness. So that we're in such a place where we see the world, um, relationships, interactions going and we say that's not the way it's supposed to be. We speak up, we enter in and we hunger and thirst and say no, 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 God has called for a morality that is completely upside down than what we see running rampant in our day to day. We hunger and thirst for that. Societal, moral, relational righteousness and some of us, right, maybe, maybe that's what you expect to hear in church right now. You expect to hear that, yeah, 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 the moral rights, the moral, like, get it all right, do all the right things, be a good person, do, don't do do bad things, do good things. And that is there, okay, righteousness. But let me, let me tell you, actually, um, there's another word that maybe isn't as traditionally embraced or sometimes counterintuitive or is even polarized that this word that has been translated righteousness can also synonymously be translated as justice. Hmm. That doesn't always go hand in hand, right? We hear good uh, righteousness, moral righteousness, right? Do the right things. Don't, but then, no, this says hunger and thirst for that and hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that when you see on a societal, familial, individual, um, uh, it, 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 structural Dimension when there's injustice you, you stand up and you say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You stand up and say, that's not, that's not the good news that Jesus proclaimed, and so often, right, we find ourselves in a tug of war, or we think, no, I'm over here, so I can't talk about justice, or I'm over here, and that just means that God doesn't care about how you're actually living on an individual level. And Jesus comes, again, counterintuitively and says, I'm taking the game back, right, you can't differentiate these things. He says, no, my word, the kingdom of heaven that has come, means that right living uh, also relates with um, standing up for those who maybe can't stand up for themselves, who need standing up for, or or where where brokenness and oppression is running rampant, God's people are called to stand up and to say, no, I hunger and thirst to see that made right. Mm. And it's It's easy to get it right in here, church. All right, we can get our Bibles right in here, but unless we get it right out there, we're not living biblically. Again, there's a warning, there's a litmus test about about this whole thing where Jesus is saying, listen, get it right, be transformed in such a way, the blessed life is one where you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right living, and for justice to be made right. And then he continues on. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are, um, and, and blessed are the um, pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not blessed are those who gossip and, and who stir up trouble and whose social media presence is all about you know, division. But know that, that, that you're... Uh, Slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Peacemakers. Romans chapter 12 says, As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. As much as it depends on you. Okay, so if you're the gossip, if you've always got juicy news, if you're, okay, the last fight I actually got in, like real fight, seventh grade, bloody nose, black eye, the whole deal, was because of a gossip. It was because someone wasn't stirring up peace, but was was stirring up uh, trouble. Let that not be true of us in here, in the church, in our workplace, in our homes. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then this last part, verses 10 through 12, He kind of brings it all together. This is like a transition from all these, these, these. Beatitudes, blessed is this, blessed is this, blessed is that, kind of sets the tone, sets the, sets the whole direction here. He says, now the whole rest of this sermon is coming out because your life is going to look differently if you come to Jesus and you put your faith in him and you are transformed in such a way that it shows up in your everyday real life so that now you can expect how that's going to be lived. And there's a transition point in verses 10 through 12 where he says, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you wrongly because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Persecute Again, Ah, the good life, the blessed life, what I went to college for, what I'm here for, isn't really to be persecuted, Jesus. Sorry, you're kind of wet blanket right now. You're kind of raining on the parade. Who brought this guy along? Right? Like, that's, that's our nature, and we need to admit that. That's what we want to respond with. But Jesus says, no, no, expect this. Expect persecution. Expect that, that my kingdom coming into the world is not just going to blend perfectly and nicely. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Okay, the kingdom, some of that language here, kingdom, this whole thing is going to be talking about it. Kingdom is the way of life. It's the way you see. It's the way we relate with one another. It's the way the world operates and functions. It's, and there's a kingdom of this world. Again, when we all individually and communally turned our backs on God and said, no thanks, I don't want to be a part of your kingdom where my re- uh, identity and purpose comes from you, where our relationship and our identity and our purpose comes from God, but it's apart from God. It's not God. That sin then that's the kingdom of the world. And Jesus says, listen, my kingdom is coming. Repent and believe. It is here. Be transformed. Be changed. And then he says, and when you embrace that, when you are transformed by Jesus, when his life, death, and resurrection shapes you, you're going to experience persecution. Now, again, we got to hit on all of us here. Don't be shocked when you lose friends and jobs and relationships and respect from people. Some people hear that and we bring on persecution, right? We're like, all right, I've got every bumper sticker on my car, the way I present myself, my T-shirt, the look on my face, every, the huge Bible that I'm carrying around with like, you know, has a, a cross that could be turned this way and it's more like, you know, I'm gonna get you and I'm gonna keep you out. We'll talk about that next week, okay? When Jesus says, uh, you are the salt of the earth and be a light unto, as, a, as a city set on a hill so let your light shine before others so that seeing your good works they will glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, so it doesn't mean like dukes up, you know, we're going to go out and and bring on persecution. It's us versus them kind of deal, all right? That is not it. That's not the message that Jesus is saying. But he is saying, don't be surprised when uh, this good news, when this message of the kingdom, of the blessed life, is not always received well and when you receive persecution for it. And then that, that first commandment in this whole thing as we close says rejoice and be glad. Or that um, translation can actually be rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice in these things. Take joy, take heart because you're, you're, you're being persecuted right now because um, others who've gone before you have been persecuted too. That's the way of the kingdom. That's what it means to be transformed by Jesus and to identify with Jesus. But let me ask you to ask yourself right now, how do you feel? The the commandment from Jesus is, rejoice and be glad. Do you feel glad? Let let this quote from Sinclair Ferguson be an encouragement, because a lot of times, and perhaps even some of the tone of this um, maybe makes you feel this way, that often the Sermon on the Mount is taught as a message calculated to produce the greatest possible guilt in the fewest possible chapters, right? That's how we feel. Maybe even now that's how this thing is preached a lot of times. It says, but the sermon is not aiming to produce a sense of hopelessness and despair in us. Should do this, should do that. You should get it all together. You should live your life in such a way that if you're not, you should feel bad right now. Get it together, would you? Right? That's how we want to, that's what happens in our heart. But he says, rather, it is intended to set before us a glorious vision of what the Lord intends our lives to become. The sermon is Jesus' manifesto. It describes a regal lifestyle, the new behavior pattern for the new kingdom we have entered. Jesus' call right now for you and me to come before him and to be changed, his message is not this. Don't hear it today. Don't hear it every week, well, ever. And don't hear it over the next couple months. His message is not live like this in order to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. His message is not do these things in order to be accepted by God or do these things in order to become a better Christian. That's not the message. But the message is emphatically, because you are a Christian, this will be your life. If you put your faith in Jesus, these things will be true of you. Because though we see through distorted lenses, Jesus comes and brings a transformation, a real transformation that shows up in real, everyday life. And the message is, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, if you look at your relationship with God and your relationship with others, and you say, my perspective of the good life is distorted, either in this moment or at some point, and you recognize, I I can't do it on my own, that sounds like a really hard list, and I am hopeless, the good news is this, that Jesus says, come, that by grace alone, God's undeserved favor poured out. Through faith alone, a transfer of trust from, from self to, to Christ. Through Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone... That his life, death, victorious resurrection, and continual rule, and his call for you and me to entrust our lives to him, he says, if that's what you do, if you put your life and in, in your trust in me in such a way, this is the blessed life I'm promising for you. This is the blessed life I'm calling you into, and I will produce through the Holy Spirit. All right, the Holy Spirit is an asterisk. If you're taking notes right now, if you got it, put that and just put, through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Because this whole thing is, 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 is built upon the assumption and the truth that you can't do it on your own. But as God, through the Holy Spirit, empowering you, working in you, he brings real life transformation that shows up in real everyday life. And it's counterintuitive. And it's crazy. But it's beautiful. And it's good. And that's the good news. Amen? Let's pray. Lord uh, Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we enter into a sermon right now. We enter into a sermon series right now of hearing from you. And I know that you're doing a work right now in all of us. Lord, that um, it's, we're in different, different places. I do pray and trust that the end result is comfort and hope and encouragement. Lord, that you are are bringing us to a place, I pray, back to verse 3, where we would all respond as poor in spirit we'd say, I can't do it on my own. I've been trying for years to do it on my own, but I've heard the good news that I'm not called to do it on my own. I'm called to be poor, to depend on you, to trust in you. Lord, would you produce a good work in me? Lord, for those who have never trusted in you, I pray that even this morning you are calling, you are pleading, you are opening hearts, and you are saying, come to me. I will give you life and give you abundant life, a blessed life. Lord Jesus, transform us. And, and let that be lived out through our everyday real lives. We pray this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.